0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. I'm here with the wildcard Jay Spade of Wildcat Sports. How are you doing today, Jay?
1: Man, I'm doing as great as I could possibly be. Uh, just catching up on like a lot of wrestling and stuff like that. Um, not too much of the, the current stuff, but watching a lot of old-school stuff, so that always kind of puts a smile on my face.
0: I've been doing that a lot recently, too. I've been going back and watching the old like NWA before it was WCW stuff, like on the network, and, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of it's pretty crazy because you start to see, like, everyone assumes modern indie wrestling or regular wrestling is, was only this way recently, but there's a lot of stuff you'll see in older wrestling that
1: oh, yeah. way ahead
0: of its time.
1: Oh, definitely. Like, a lot of, like, uh, old Ultimo Dragon matches and stuff like that kind of incorporate the, the spots that you see now. Yeah. So, you know, yo, this, this, this really just, like, reminiscent of, like, an old Nas lyric, like, nothing is original. No idea is original. There's nothing new under the sun. It's it's not what you do, but it's how it's done. So it's literally just taking something that was old and just repackaging.
0: Yeah, I noticed that watching, like, Dynamite Kid matches. I was like, this is stuff that dudes pull off now that (laughs) people flip flip out about. But this is going on. Or stuff that Great Muda was doing. You know, you see, like, Stan Hansen chewing tobacco and then just clobbering fools. But then the next match is Great Muda, and he's pulling off these crazy back drop kicks. And you're like, yep.
1: Yep, and all that's old school, that's not even new school stuff. So, I mean, those who really kind of like hate the new school now, they're really just incorporating.
0: So let's get started with that as far as, you're, you're obviously an independent wrestler, otherwise you wouldn't be on an independent wrestling podcast. But- That is true. <laughs> but, how did that love first start? Where did you first start going, this is something I want to get into?
1: Oh, man, uh, well honestly, like I'm, I'm probably different from a lot of people who's told the story or who's been on the podcast. Like, I never liked pro wrestling. My best friend, my neighbor, he used to watch this stuff religiously when we was, like, around, like, uh, seven or eight years old. And, you know, you know just kind of, like, for the longest, I would watch and I'd be like, why are you watching this stuff? Like, it's is dumb, fake. Like, what's the, like, you know, why are you watching? I look at him, he's not even, he's not even punching him. So, <laughs> <laughs> what are you getting out of this? And, honestly, it wasn't until, uh, until I got to, like, middle school, like, around 12 years old. I had more friends in in like my middle school classes who was into wrestling as well. So it was like second period, they would come in and they would talk about what happened on Monday Night Raw, and I'm just like, hey, y'all watch this. It's a big deal with this. But um, it it happened like uh in in 2000, and the first match that I kind of watched and that caught my attention was uh was the 2000 Royal Rumble. It was Cactus Jack versus Triple H, the uh, street fight match. And when I saw that match, that's when it clicked. Like it clicked, I understood the premise of it, I understood the story we were trying to tell, and I understood why people enjoyed it. Uh, me looking back at it now, this was no different. Like if I take my childhood you know, uh, obsession, which was mighty more from Power Rangers back then, they're doing the same exact stuff, <laughs> but they're doing it in front of a live audience there's no cutscenes. There's no sparks coming out of their chest. And these guys, you know, they were bleeding all through the match and stuff. But it, it was that. And from that point on, I knew what it was. These guys were basically superheroes. Mm. And, you know, they was performing. They was doing stuff. And they just did it all in one take on the fly. Once I saw that, I was, I was hooked from go. So really, in t- from uh, 2000 until now, I've been, like, deeply obsessed. With- you know, it, it really just got to the point because I've always, I've always stayed in shape. All throughout high school, whenever I was like sad or depressed with stuff, I always had like a weight set. So I always just, you know, lift weights. Just kind of like a good way to get like whatever aggression I had out of me and stuff like that. And roughly, maybe I want to say maybe uh, my junior year or senior year, it got to the point to where, you know, I'm looking on TV. You know, I see guys like, you know, John Cena, I see Eddie Guerrero, I see Ray Mysterio. And I'm like, all right, I'm not that much different than them as far as field. I may not be as tall as them, but I'm in pretty good shape. So it was almost like, how come I shouldn't be able to do this? Why not just try it? and really, from that point on, like a junior year or a senior in high school, once I graduated from college, I never let that dream go and eventually it led me into training to be a pro wrestler.
0: So how did you find out about training because I know one thing I remember when i before I got into the world of independent wrestling was you know, you didn't really know about independent pro wrestling, you know, about the WWF at the time or the WCW or ECW. And then all of a sudden, like when you get into the world of independent wrestling, like this whole world opens up where you're like, oh, there's hundreds of promotions. <laughs> there's yeah. a bunch of different schools. <laughs> like, at what point do you learn? Like, okay, here's a school. Here's where I can train. Here's where I could do this.
1: Well, you know, like, honestly, I didn't, I didn't have too much of an idea. All I knew at that time, the closest school to me, is pretty much a uh, and that was in uh, in Houston, Texas, Reality of Wrestling. So I was like, all right, cool. When I get done with college, I'll see about, you know, moving out to Houston, getting a job, and then training over there. And, man, I, I don't know at what point it kind of felt weird. I was like, all right, I don't think I can move out to Houston. Let me just look up wrestling schools. I looked up a wrestling school, and the one that came closest to where I stood at, I lived a little bit outside of New Orleans, in uh, Harvard, Louisiana, was uh, was Wildcat Sports. I'm like, all right. Never heard of it. Clicked on it. And it kind of gave me a little bit of information as far as like uh, Orlando Jordan being one of the trainers there and Luke Hawks. And I'm like, well, I know who Orlando Jordan is. I don't know who the hell or what the hell Luke Hawks is. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, let me look up this guy's name just so I can get some information on who's running the school. I Google his name. And the first thing that pops up is Luke Hawks tried to kill Matt Hardy. And I'm like, Wait, wait. <laughs> right, who, right, who is this guy? So I see the clip. Matt Hardy falls off the top rope, and he's kind of spazzing out on the on the concrete. And I'm like, all right, so this, this is a bit psycho. Um, but it's a wrestling school, so you know. Let me let me just let me just see, you know. So uh, just kind of like from there, I sent out emails and stuff like that. And in hindsight, now I realize how unhelpful Luke Ox was. <laughs> 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 so, Yo, because know, like I'm trying to find out, like, all like, right, all right, cool. If I'm gonna do this, make sure I have everything straight. I already went to college, so I got like my bachelor's degree in business management just in case I need something to fall back on. I'm like, well, hey, look, I'm looking to join. I wanna know like if any chance y'all know any uh, health insurance companies I can, you know, apply for and stuff like that. I just want to make sure I take care of myself. And he responds back. Nah, don't have no idea. I uh, can't help you out with that, but you know you can stop by the school and take a look at it, and you know, this is how much you got to pay. So I'm like, damn, this dude is really not helpful at all.") <laughs> <laughs> a little blunt. Looks a little blunt sometimes. Yeah, and this is coming through like emails, so I'm like, all right, well, I mean, look, are you trying to help me, John, or what? But, um, <laughs> you know, I got to the point like I went over there and I, I checked out the scene of them doing their practice sessions you know, before joining, and, you know, I just kind of got hooked from there. Like, I was a bit nervous, you know, going into it, but, you know, I got my stuff in order, um, and then, like, when he was say, well, that's how much the Don Payment is, I'm like, cool, I'm ready. Kind of like I've been ready, but I had to wait, like, a few weeks before he had enough for a full class.
0: Yeah, so wh- now you're joining, Now you're now you're training. Obviously, physically, you're already kind of there, you know, but – What's the first wall you hit when you start training wrestling? What's the point, thing where you go, oh, this, is, this part is harder than I thought this would be. I didn't think it was going to be like this.
1: Man. Yeah. That's a bit weird. Okay. So, I, damn. And I don't want to make this seem like I know what I'm doing, or like i built myself up to like really handle this stuff. But I, I kind of feel like I was the most prepared for wrestling training. Coming into Wildcat. Besides another guy who came after me was like Edging Stone. Really, probably him. And the reason because that, and the reason why that is, is because before I even started training, you know, we try to find as much as we can about the business. I used to watch Tough Enough, and one of the things I saw on Tough Enough, I don't know if this was the first episode. This might have been like the first episode of any season. Is when they put them through conditioning. Everybody was like dying. You know, they were throwing up or they were passing out. And I'm looking at that stuff like, no, like I, I, I hate throwing up. I hate it. So there's no way I'm going to get myself in a condition to where I'm going to go and do all this stuff and I'm going to be throwing up in the ring or throwing up everywhere. I hate that feeling with passion. So even before going and doing the training, I was up and up my cardio just so that they could never get me to that point to where I'm throwing up and I can't get through the workouts. And even for like, you know, just for the hell of it, me and my friend, like we used to like play wrestle uh, in our living room. So there's been a chance, there's been a time where he picked me up and rock bottom me like on our floor. So I was like, all right, cool. If I can if I can get slammed on the floor and not hurt myself, yeah. I'm more than sure I can take a bump. So when I actually like got into the ring and I took like that first bump, it was nothing. Cause I expected it to be extremely much harder than what it was. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I got to that point, I was like, all right, well, this is good, I can take this. And the condition is nothing because I've been training myself for it. Maybe the wall, maybe the actual wall that I had to hit was uh, was really just me kind of getting out of my shell and being a little bit more vocal and stuff like that, which that honestly did not come until really once I was already in the ring and doing shows. Just because physically I looked good. Um, I was athletic enough to kind of pick up on the moves and perform them well. My conditioning was great. So it was almost like, all right, whenever we get the chance, let's put this guy in the match because he could perform well. But, you know, in order to show more character and be more vocal and loud, it wasn't like a shy person. So it was almost like when they used to put me in front of the camera, it was like, oh, now y'all want me to perform on command? Mm-hmm. That's, a bit, that's a bit hard for me to do. But once I got past that point, and honestly, that that probably took like a good maybe like two or three years. And You know, it's, it's something I'm still working on now, but... Uh, mentally in my mind what I had to do and excuse my language I had to stop giving a fuck about certain things yep and just just let it happen just let it go
0: no there's a whole lot of you know like okay I notice when you wrestle one thing I notice is your facial expressions are great like you're selling <laughs> when you sell you're selling and I know you're not really hurt because I know it's a work but like I'm like you're making me believe that you're hurt right now and that's one thing I noticed a lot of guys who are super green like They'll take stuff and they and they're kind of like the whole match. And like you're not even like, <laughs> you're not making it look like you're hurt. You know what I mean? So there, there's like even like little things like that, it, it takes a while, I would imagine. I would imagine, I don't know. I would imagine mm-hmm. it gets you, you know, it's something you it takes a while to get used to. Cause you have to, you're basically on the whole time. You're you're not only being yes. physically active, you're acting the entire time as well.
1: Yeah, yo, like honestly, what I what I always try to keep in my mind um is as soon as really not as soon as you hit the curtains but before going out going through the curtains you're in character i don't break character until like a minute after i go through the curtains after a match so the bell is already rung the match is over i'm walking to the back there's a bunch of people who come up to me like man are you okay Like, you okay and i'll still be selling because i'm still in character and then every now and then like i'll just snap out of it oh yeah i'm good like i'm just straight (laughs) but I always try to stay in character no matter what. Of course, uh, you know, accidents are gonna happen or things don't go according to plan, but as part as, uh, as part of improv is to react as your character would. So, I mean, even if you're like doing a, this was like an improv comedy show and I'm, I'm impersonating, let's say Donald Trump, if a gunshot goes off, I gotta react to that as Donald Trump would. Always mm-hmm. got to just stay in character regardless of what the case is. But, and it's the same thing with selling, too. A lot of people can do it because they can keep themselves invested in their character no matter what happens during the spot. Uh, some people can It's just a lot harder for them to stay in character because they kind of they forget that, oh, snap, it's not about the move. It's about the wrestler doing the move or taking the move. It's not about me performing.
0: Did you did that come easily to you uh, in the beginning, or did it take a while to learn? Because that's the one thing I noticed when I go back and I watch old matches is I used Mm -hmm. to just appreciate the person doing the move, and then now as I go back and watch, I appreciate the people taking the move sometimes way more.
1: Yo, it was it was a bit of a was kind of like different levels that I had initially coming into it. I would say I was I was good at it, solid. No, excuse me. Um, And then once I had my once I had like my injury. Uh, I had a, a torn meniscus, so I kind of had some time off. And one of the things I wanted to get back to get back into, besides like doing moves and stuff like that, was you know focusing on selling, just having different ways of selling the same move, you know, differently, regardless of what the match is. And that's something that you know I teach the students at our Wildcat Sports. There's probably going to be on a show. You're going to probably have about maybe like 20 suplexes how can you sell your suplex differently from the previous match and differently to match that's coming after yours? So really after my injury, I started putting more focus on, let me try to sell stuff in a way to where it seems more brutal. And then also let me sell uh, my moves to be more animated. Sometimes, depending on what the story is, I may sell stuff in a comedic way to try to get a, a funny reaction out of the crowd. Or I may do it like in a different way to get like a disturbing reaction out of the crowd. It's all about like the emotion and trying to pull from the crowd and stuff like that. But I started off initially, I would say solid. Once after I had my injury and I had some time to kind of sit down and evaluate things, I kind of took it up to the next level after that.
0: And how about the, the whole psychology of you know, being in the ring? Did you, did match psychology and everything come pretty easily as well? Or did that take some, take some time?
1: Man, uh, yo, the match psychology, all right, uh, getting, I want to say all that happened. Really, it, it, it's weird, but it goes back It goes back to that injury I had. So the injury I had was a torn meniscus. And up until that point, um, I forgot how many years I was already wrestling, but I was still fairly new. And when I had my injury, I was out for roughly about three to four months. And when I came back, uh, I came back and I started a field with Matt Lancey. That's pretty much one of the guys, one of the head trainers at Wildcat Sports. He had just came back from a knee injury himself. So the thing is is that literally he came back and I came back at the same time and he hit me up and he was like, hey, look, Luke doesn't have anything for us. Do you want to do a rivalry basically almost like a best of five series? And I was like, cool, you know, let's go with it. Us doing that feud, it it really took my 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 skills as an in-ring performer to another level. He's, you know, he's much wiser than me and he's had more years than i had. But Matt also gave me like the freedom to kind of have a little bit of control in our matches, more input than what I had before with other guys who I wrestled with. So it was almost like when we were done, we, we did a best of five and then pretty much it led to two more additional matches. And the final match being a uh, an Iron Man match so we put all this stuff together and really performing with him like each and every single show all of our matches felt extremely different it, it gave me more confidence and it made me go into going to the matches with like a different mindset he also let me be a lot more creative so I was able to play with the ring psychology a lot more and I think after that feud that feud is really what kind of like made me a much better performer as far as selling as far as ring psychology, um, really, really just as far as confidence too in general, that's when I kind of like hit that, that next level as far as, all right, I understand, it's almost like I can kind of see through the matrix now and I can understand how to play with the crowd's emotions, how to get them invested into it, how to get them to really get invested into me. Because We were both baby faces at that time and literally at that point I was fairly new and he was already established. He had already been a champion. So the crowd knew him. It was just getting to know me. And at the end of our Ironman match, I think both of us, pretty much I kind of got up to his level. And I wasn't looked at that rookie status anymore.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like what you needed was, like, one focal point so that you can concentrate and, like, see the ebbs and flows of a story because you had this one, like, goal in mind.
1: Yeah, like, yo, I would – and I always tell like anybody, you know, if, if we're talking about for us like wrestling and the type of matches that I like, as much as you know, if you put me in a uh, a spot fest match, where like we're just doing a whole bunch of spots, I'm cool with that. But me, I love storytelling. Give me like a nice solid feel to sink my teeth into, into where I can give you like multiple matches with the same person, but they all feel differently. I love that. I, I love storytelling more than anything. And. You know my career, my my stint at Wildcat Sports. That's all I've. That's all I basically had. I never really had a period to where I wasn't invested in some type of field.
0: And how did you find? Uh, you said now you're you're helping to train people as well.
1: Yeah. Yes, so
0: How has that been as far as the challenge? Uh, going from you know someone who 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 had a dream, went into the business, mm-hmm. and now you're there. Now you're dealing with a bunch of kids who have the same dream. <laughs> and how frustrating can it be sometimes
1: <laughs> like honestly I, I didn't ask for this not at all I really did not this was something that Luke Hawks thought was 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 needed I didn't <laughs> I did not think so but you know it's it's weird I don't want to come off uh, I'm going to try to be as real as I can I don't want to come off as, as disingenuous but I'm there to help everybody succeed. I want to see everybody succeed. I want to see everybody get money, get their gimmick over and stuff like that. But at the same exact time, I do not let those who are trailing behind or anything like that really mess up my psyche. So me going into there, like, you know, you'll get some guys who don't work out. I'm like, all right, I'll put you in the ring and you hurt yourself or you hurt somebody else. How are you going to feel after that? Oh, you know, they're going to feel guilty. They're going to feel sorry. Yeah, you feel sorry, but you just hurt somebody. Or you just hurt yourself, so now you can't, you know, perform either. So I need you to start working out. and need you to get yourself together. Um, it's, it, at one point, and, you know, we have other coaches too, like uh, Matt Lancy, he's one of the coaches. Danny Flamingo, he's another coach. And they all kind of, like, bring in different aspects as far as how they interact with the students. Of course, you know, you got, uh, you kind of have, like, the good cop and the bad cop. So, for instance, Danny is kind of one of the bad cops because he doesn't mind yelling. Like, if somebody messes up, he's on them. He's, <laughs> he's on them, he's yelling at them and stuff. Like, like, he's really getting into them because you have certain rules you got to follow, and they're not following it. My approach is more laid back. I'm not going to let any, you know, student upset me. It's like, hey, if you're messing up, you got to do it again. Or you know, you're messing up, get out the ring. You know, I'm here to help y'all, but a lot of times... I can't let y'all just run amok and I'm not going to let y'all upset me and have me get yeah. angry and start yelling and stuff. So I have a more laid back approach to it, but it is definitely a challenge because it's one thing for me to critique myself, but it's another thing to critique somebody else and then have to give them a, a, a way to improve upon their performance and breaking it down to them to where they can understand it because I can only understand my language. But if I got
0: to translate it to somebody else, that's where the challenge. Yeah, I can imagine. And also, like, you know, you say it's a laid back style, but it's at the same time, it's kind of like you can't they can't waste other people's time as well. You know, if, if somebody's not trying to improve themselves and they're holding the rest of the class back because they're not, you know, giving a shit, basically, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, that's not fair to everyone else as well. So. Yeah,
1: yo, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I tell anybody who comes in, like, yo, wrestling is not easy. I remember somebody told me this stuff was easy. Now it's like, dude, I'm kind of picking up on it good, but it, it ain't that easy. Like, yo, I go, like, chill out on it. It's not the easiest thing to do. But I tell any of the students, hey, look, it's a challenge. If you love a challenge, you can succeed at it. But you have to love a challenge. And sometimes you're going to constantly fail at challenges, but you got to keep going. But, you know, it's it's also one of those things to where it's like if you look at like some of the old stories, like I think when uh, Chris Jericho first started wrestling, he mentioned that his class was like maybe 12 people. And then toward the end of it, it was like a handful, like maybe three or four who actually completed it. So me knowing that, I know whenever we do get a new group in, I don't think they're all going to stay. The hard work and the challenge of wrestling is going to weed out the ones who can't keep up. And so, you know, you have like a good handful to where you'd be like, all right, I saw some potential in this guy, and he's kind of living up to it because he's still here. You know, some of the other ones, it's like, hey, look, y'all are trying, but you you just can't pick up on it. So, you know, I'm here to help, but, you know, y'all got to do more work outside of practice. That's kind of like, that's really like the thing that holds a lot of people back is being able to do more work outside of practice. Because they think like, hey, we come here for these three hours. Let's work hard here. And then when you go home, you're not doing anything. You know, if this is what you really want, you want to be a top guy, you want to be in the main event, you want to be on the show, you want to be on the posters, you got to put in work outside of practice.
0: Well, it reminds me of, uh, you know, it's not exactly a direct correlation, but it reminds me of uh, playing in a band. Uh Like, we would practice a couple times a week and mm-hmm. you can't <laughs> not pick up your guitar five days out of the week and then two days out of the week show up and be like, hey, let's play some songs. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to you have to do some stuff at home <laughs> you can't yes you know you, training goes you know you have to train all the time you can't just you don't master anything by by half-assing it that way
1: well yeah and that's what it, you know it's really if you're a musician if you're a performer or pro wrestler or athlete it's a lifestyle that you have to adapt to um and you have to you know you you have to be fully invested into this new lifestyle some people can do it, and some people are like, "Well, you know what? I'm still accustomed to my old way of living, so you know, I don't want to, I don't want to switch and change over to that yet." And you know, some people are willing to make that sacrifice. Some aren't. But if you want to be a master at any craft, man, you got to put like time in. You yeah. know, it's 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 a requirement.
0: So let's go and shift gears here to the social aspect of pro wrestling. You always hear a lot of stories, locker room stories. People, you know, the way you're supposed to act with professionals you know what i mean there's there's a whole yeah. lot of you know people showing up at different locker rooms through different countries or different areas of the, of the country where some people have more old school feel where you got to you know get in shut up you can't talk to the veterans you got to you know kind of well, that kind of thing where you have to make sure you say hi to everyone which is something that you have to do how was that stuff in the beginning for you as far as learning to kind of navigate the social aspect of that
1: man i was Okay, this this, this kind of goes back to what I was saying with, with Tough Enough and stuff. So me trying to get into the business, I researched the business. And, you know, I remember that story. Oh, man, who was that dude? Uh, this was – he told a story, and this was after WCW had already closed up, and WWE purchased a bunch of wrestlers mm. from, um, from WCW. And it was somebody – I don't know if Raven was a part of it or whatnot, but it was – some new guy, he came in and pretty much he was from WCW, but he was going in, he was going into WWE, they had just signed him and stuff, and somebody, he was kind of like going into the locker room and then going into catering, and one person kept bringing up, oh man, you didn't speak to Triple H, oh man, you didn't speak to Undertaker, oh man, they're really not going to like that stuff now, like you done messed up now and stuff like that, and when I read that, I was like, yo, you really got to like talk and greet to everybody when you go to a locker room, because you don't want any heat. And the guy was like, he got like a lot of heat and he didn't really realize, so he was like, well, I didn't even see them there, so I didn't even know I had to speak to them and stuff like that. So me having that in my head, I was like, all right, if I see anybody, look around the locker room, make sure I introduce myself and, you know, and, and greet them and stuff like that. So me kind of having that fear of not wanting to be kicked out and disowned in the locker room, I've always had like, you know, the utmost respect for anybody there. I always kept to myself. And basically whenever I did travel though, I always traveled with either, you know, Luke, Matt, you know, some of the like the OGs of Wildcat Sports. Very rarely in my career early on did I like venture out alone. But I've always remembered that in the back of my head, like, hey, if I go to any locker room, make sure I introduce myself to everybody. So I haven't had any personal like backlash and stuff like that whenever Instagram. Luke on the other hand, yeah, he's somebody completely, (laughs) he's different. Then again, he has like, you know the tenure to do stuff like that but me personally I've never gotten into that uh, regardless of if I know the person or not I introduce myself or if we're kind of like if they look like they're busy you know I'll do like a wave or stuff but I always make sure I acknowledge somebody but I've never ran into any type of problems because I'm not trying to get kicked out of no locker room
0: Yeah. How about for Wildcat? You know, you got a lot of people who come in from different promotions that come and work for you guys. Has there ever been situations where people show up and they obviously don't understand that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, because honestly, Luke does a good job of not booking anybody who's disrespectful like
0: that. Mm, Okay.
1: So, I mean, for the most part, you know, and, and if you saw his interview, he mentioned the guy who was like smoking weed and stuff like that. Like, even that guy who did do that, he still showed up and greet everybody. Like, he was still nice and friendly. He just, he got out of pocket. You know, he, <laughs> he crossed the line and stuff. But, uh, no, Luke always does, like, a good job of putting people who he knows is respectful and hardworking in a position to work for us. So, I, I can't even say we ran into anybody like that. I mean, I've seen somebody get kicked out of a locker room at uh, one of Booker T's shows. That was pretty funny. But that wasn't really because of locker room etiquette. That was because he did something in the match that he was not supposed to. And yeah, Booker wasn't having that. He told him, go. What'd he he do? Yo, I think he did something outside of the ring during the match. And I don't think it was called for. Because the way they run stuff at ROW is very strict. All the matches are discussed beforehand. They have agents pretty much for the matches. And for that guy to do that, and if you've already had a conversation with Booker, you're pretty much going against what the head Booker, no pun intended, yeah. told you to do. So I just remember, like, after the match, Booker, like, just so, like, get out of here. Like, I told you not to do that stuff, not to do. The guy didn't even get changed. Like, he left in his gear. Dang. So, <laughs> so I'll show you right there, like, hey, you know, he was a nice, courteous guy, but, you know, you. If you're talking to the book and the book wants to do something, this is something yeah. I told my students, Sue, you have to follow directions. If I tell you to cut a certain promo, a certain amount of time, you go over that time, or you don't incorporate none of the elements I told you to do. And you're not gonna get booked like that. And you're gonna get kicked out of kicked off the show, kicked out of the locker room for not following directions.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't show up to a movie set and then have them be like, hey, Robert Downey Jr., you're Iron Man. He's like, Well, I'm gonna be Batman in this movie. It's like that's not the way this <laughs> works, man. Like <laughs> You signed up for this, like <laughs> we're paying not you to do this. <laughs> yes, stick
1: to the script, like stick to it. It's it's not your show; it's a Booker's show. Yeah, so you gotta go. You gotta go by the rules, or just don't wrestle for them.
0: So, what about uh, going to wrestling for different prom- promotions? What did you think about that? As far as you know, you were at Wildcat. You trained at Wildcat. Mm-hmm. You stayed at Wildcat. You're still a Wildcat. So, like, you stayed at one space for a while, and then you know you start branching out doing different stuff. What did you notice was different the first, thing, the first time you did that?
1: Uh, I mean, this is no slight at nobody at all, but it's pretty actual. Um, really, the crowd size, that was, that was the biggest thing. Uh, I, I tell our students all the time, and really a lot of them don't know because they haven't ventured out yet. But when it comes to crowds, Wildcats, I've ever wrestled before. Um, I've done shows in L.A., I've done shows in Texas, done shows in New York. I did, I did shows in Philly, did shows in Florida, too. Nobody draws a crowd like Wildcat Sports. And the weirdest thing is we may not be that much well-known when it comes to, you know, nationwide. Like, a little bit of buzz, but not that big of a buzz. But, like, when we're drawing, what, on a, on a low show. A low show, we're drawing like seven to eight hundred. I go do a show in Texas, and the show in Texas roughly has like two hundred. Or, you know, I go and do a show like when I uh did the Bumps and Bruises show, that show probably had at the most maybe four hundred. Mm. But Wildcast Sports, like we pull eight, seven to eight hundred on a normal. Our down show, I remember we had Stevie Ray uh at one of our shows, and this was a bad crowd for us. Stevie Ray looked in the audience and he was like, Luke is upset with this crowd. Like, man, I would love to have a crowd like this at ROW. <laughs> like, I'll be straight with this, and it was like we just have such a high standard. We love bringing in, you know, as much people as possible. So that was the biggest shock to me. And it was like, okay, I got to get used to working, you know, smaller crowds and stuff like that. Which I did a little bit because I did some shows in Mississippi, and a good chunk of their their shows, their crowds was roughly like maybe like hundred and something people and whatnot. But that was the biggest shock. It's like, okay, okay, you know, I'm so used to like the big crowds. When I go somewhere else, I can't have that high expectations all the time. Uh, In addition to that, is is also just kind of like having our state athletic commission. You know, pretty much we have it regulated to where like you need a wrestler's license. You got to have blood work done. So everything is regulated in Louisiana. You know, you go out to Florida, no commission, (laughs) no no regulations. Go to L.A., no commissions, no regulations. Same thing in Texas. So it's a bit of a, a culture shock. It's like, okay, cool. You know, it's, it's different times. So that was also another thing too. And just, you know, in addition to the crowd, it's just kind of like how people uh, are invested into the crowds. Um, I just noticed with Wildcat, we are more story-based. I did some shows in, uh, in Brooklyn and in uh, Long Island, and the crowd was like, was extremely hard to work. Granted, they didn't know me at the time, But it was like first starting off the match, it's like, all right, nobody kind of cares. Even though I'm a baby face, nobody cares about me. I got to do more to get the crowd invested into it. And so that's another challenge too, that you just got to try to figure out on the fly. I can't practice for that. I only can be in front of that crowd and practice and execute and learn in that moment.
0: Yeah, that actually just reminds me of, the other earlier today I was watching an old WCW event and it was Conan versus Eddie Guerrero. And this is like, early in eddie guerrero's career in wcw yeah and conan still has the colorful outfit on like yeah. with, you know and they're like they're they're perple- they're like performing in mississippi or something so they start off the match doing some awesome lucha shit like stuff you're like this is great but the crowd gives zero shit yeah. like yes <laughs> and you can kind of tell like conan kind of like looks around and he's like all right so he starts hyping the crowd up and then he starts hitting a lot more fast-paced moves out of nowhere and then mm-hmm. the crowd starts getting into it and i'm like this dude, like, this is like that's a veteran right there. Like on the fly, he's like, okay, how am I gonna fix this? How am I gonna change the the outcome right now? And he just does it. And that just reminded me of that, where you're like, you have to kind of like he's like you mentioned earlier, improv it, where you're like, okay, well, yes. How can I adapt this match to the crowd that I'm at right now?
1: Yeah, and y'all honestly kind of like one of the uh, the things I learned. Um, another bump in my skill level, if, you know, if you will say, was like when I did uh, some shows in England. Um, working with WAW, which is uh, Paige's family wrestling promotion, they did a lot of shows that was kind of like uh, catered to the audience, or catered to families. So there's way more interactions with the audience. And that kind of like, even though we have a skeleton of a match in our head, at any point, if we see something almost like a prop that we can play with, like if there's an audience member that we can play with, we'll go out and we'll do that. So we're like We'll incorporate that audience member into the match, whether it's you know, heckling the uh, the audience member or even grabbing a guy going outside the ring and having the audience member chop him. It'll be something as, as good as that to get the crowd invested into it. And we don't call it in the back, but it's kind of one of those things like, you know, you call on the fly inside the ring and then, you know, we just go with it. But that's another thing too, is like it was a way different crowd that I had to learn how to work in front of. And I even still use that today, depending on if the crowd is dead or not.
0: I noticed because you know I've been to a few Wildcat shows and I've noticed the crowd is very into it and they're very interactive as far as when you guys enter and exit the ring. They're very like, you know, animated. Uh, mm-hmm. So you got you got big crowds, they're invested and you don't need to give away all the Wildcat secrets. But, <laughs> you know, what makes Wildcat different? Do you think that is the reason why you have such a dedicated fan base?
1: It's, you know, it's one of those, I guess you could say it's like a grassroots type band. You know, if you had to kind of compare this to, like, you know, music in a sense. So, like, you see, like, this band, they start off at this small indie-type level, you know, doing shows that start off at, like, you know, 100 people and stuff like that. But then you slowly see that they're getting the buzz. They're getting a little bit bigger and bigger, but they're still local. So, you know, instead of performing in front of bars, they're now performing in front of, like, you know, uh, House of Blues-type venues. But it's, it's also the culmination of that, and a lot of our wrestlers are from the community. So, you know, at any time you'll see one guy, he'll have his family there. His family has, you know, his family's filled with maybe like 30 people. And those 30 people come to the show and then they see other wrestlers that they like. So it's, it's to me, it feels almost more like a family reunion in a sense. Because if you look at everybody's there, they're pretty much local guys. And these mm-hmm. are guys who train, like our students are local guys. They train within the state of Louisiana. So, you know, you got people coming from Baton Rouge, people coming from Homer. People coming from Lafayette, people coming from New Orleans, Harvey, Kenner, all that stuff. And they're pretty much coming there with their families, along with regular wrestling fans who just so happens to see this. I'm like, oh, man, this stuff isn't crap. You know, it's actually great top quality wrestling. Yeah, the presentation may not be big with the pyro and laser lights and all that stuff, but it's quality entertainment. So since we kind of have like, you know, our families coming together to support us, to me, it feels more like a family reunion as opposed to just a wrestling promotion bringing in fans.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially the the whole idea of you kind of, uh, you know, I know for me, when I, when, if I hear wrestlers from the Bay Area and from California, I'm like, dope. Like, I'm immediately like, awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, you, you, so when you go to a show and you see people like grew up where you grew up, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to get behind this guy. because. Yes. Because you relate to them. You feel like we've had a shared experience, you know, and that and that's kind of, you know, you know, not to get too touchy feely on a wrestling podcast, but that's, you know, <laughs> that's really what it's all about. Right. You kind of go in there. You you uh, you empathize with certain characters. You hate other characters. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're going for.
1: I mean, you still got to have that emotional connection. And that's really yeah. like, yo, it's it's like anybody who support, you know, like a Buku Dao. You know, if you follow Bukudal's career, you know he started off doing referee work. So it's it's great to see somebody who started off doing the referee and then he's finally in the ring and then he's winning titles and stuff like that. You watch their progression, you watch the journey. I started off doing security. There's literally a photo you can find of me working security, uh, pulling Matt Lancey off of somebody. And then, like, you fast forward to like four years later. You know, we're doing like an Iron Man match we're fighting against each other so you see that progression and you get invested in not only that character but that person
0: and did part of you at that moment thinking back go man I got a bachelor's degree and I got to be a security guard right now <laughs> <laughs> Yo,
1: no not at all wait like I told you I, I was a I was afraid of messing up in this business so I always looked that stuff up and that was one of the things that they say Hey, you're gonna start off doing security. Yeah. So I already knew that from the get-go. I had no problem with that. The only thing I was able to avoid, and like if you speak to um any of our any of any of our other guys who kind of like coming up in training, normally you start off as a referee. So normally you do security, then referee, then you referee. To my benefit, I made sure I looked good enough to where they could never put me as a referee. Which is weird because I actually got a referee <laughs> offer. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know if you have, I don't know if anybody has ever told you this, but it was weird. So I didn't do any refereeing in wildcat sports at all. I looked too good. Fast forward into uh, doing some practice matches for WWE. I actually got offered a referee contract. And I was like, man, I've been working out to make sure I don't <laughs> <laughs> make sure I don't look like a referee, and I didn't want to offer me a referee. Nah, like if you're looking through the progressions, oh. I was like, cool. If I got to do security, no problem. Um, if I had to do refereeing, I would do it. But Luke looked at me. He was like, there's no way I can put you in a referee outfit. And because you look like you could whip somebody's ass. So why would I do that?
0: Yeah. it And it doesn't uh, play well if a wrestler comes in who, let's say, doesn't have uh, as good of a body type. And you're like, yeah. man, the referee's more cut than this dude. How are we supposed to yeah. make this guys woof anyone's ass right now? <laughs> <laughs> Which is the truth. Yeah. So... You know, I know it's an indie handshake. It's an indie wrestling podcast called the Indie Handshake, but so tryouts for WWE and stuff like that. How does that come mm-hmm. about? What is your mindset? What is it like to, to go through that process?
1: All right. Well, technically, I never had a tryout per se with them. Uh, it's weird because they kind of got – they have, like, different levels of tryouts. So they, whenever they come in town, um, they always look for local talent to use as extras. like their movie and their performance and stuff so normally before a show happens I don't know if they really do this for scouting talent or if they do this for shits and giggles I'm still trying to figure this out but they have the wrestlers put on matches and the matches that we do are pretty much the matches that you are currently seeing now in front of no crowd at all Uh, the crowd would be maybe the agents the referees and whatever Wrestlers are ringside, just talking and just waiting for the show to start or something. So you're literally in there. And you're wrestling. You know, let's say a group of eight guys from Wildcat are used as extras. So we have to wrestle each other. It's basically like a five to six minute match, and there's no crowd. Nobody's paying attention to you at all. So there's literally no energy. So you know, every time I've been there, I put on a practice match. I'm always confident with my stuff. And you know, Luke always gets good feedback from them, but he doesn't really get like enough feedback, at least a, and in regards to me. There's never enough feedback to where it's like, hey, look, we really like this guy, let's bring him down. It's almost like, man, y'all did a great job. We'll see y'all next year, or some stuff like that. <laughs> but um
0: you are like, why can't you guys. tell me like the why can't you tell me the little part that I need to do?
1: <laughs> yeah, yo, it's like, you it's it, and it's 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 weird because you know, I I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> There was, um, this was when the Ascension was like just demolishing people. And I had did a practice match. Everybody went through all their practice matches and stuff. I forgot who I wrestled. I think I might have wrestled that. No, no, it wasn't Buku Dao. That was another time. I forgot who I wrestled. But the guy came up afterwards and he was like, he asked, Luke, hey, you know, uh, who, are the, who are some of the guys who I highly recommend to wrestle the Ascension? And so he picked uh, Buku Dao and then he picked me. And like Road Dog, he was he was working with them at the time. He was like, Nah, we can't use that dude. That dude's too jack, man. Look at this. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to believe that the Ascension can like easily just toss him around the ring. So they had this other wrestler who was a, who was uh, chubby, a bit more out of shape. It was like, him? Oh, he's good. We can use him. <laughs> he looks great. We can beat him up and stuff like that. But, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, all right, it would have been good to be on TV and, I guess, get squashed by the Ascension. But, you know, you, you look too good to be able to do that. But those are kind of like the talks that happens on those show days and stuff. But, you know, we had like a few guys. Uh, if y'all get Buku Dao on the show, he's another guy who had uh, some, tra- some tryouts with WWE. Uh, Edron Stone, he's another guy who has tryouts with WWE as well. Luke is always up there every, what, about six months. Yeah, prior to like the pandemic, he was up there for like a good bit helping them train us. You know, hey, maybe my time is going to come at some point. Um, I still do enjoy being backstage eating catering. And I guess just doing practice matches in front of, like, 10 people. So.
0: That's what uh, my other guest, uh, Jason Styles, said. Uh, he said the catering there is the greatest thing ever.
1: Yes. The, the catering, the only thing, yo, that's weird about it is, like, until you can do that practice match, With normally when they used to have uh, SmackDowns on Tuesdays, it was like, cool, so we're booked for Monday, uh, Monday Night Raw and Tuesday Night SmackDown. So you would eat a little bit on Monday, But then on Tuesday, you would be like, all right, let's not eat enough. Let's not eat too much. Get the practice match over with. And then we can dig into the desserts and stuff right after the match. So that's the only thing that kind of sucks now is because SmackDown is now on
0: Fridays. So stuff is weird now as far as constant booking. Wow. How the, the irony in the pro wrestling business to be like, nah, you're too, you're too jacked right now. Sorry. We can't use you. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) <laughs> the, the, I thought this is what I needed to do. <laughs> yeah, yo, yo, the only
1: thing, <laughs> the only thing that, that kind of came good out of one time was uh, I did do a uh, 205 live match with uh, Mustafa Ali. And which was weird because I kind of barely just made that because it was like, well, hey, are you, uh, how much you weigh? And I was like, oh, like around 203, 204. It was like, oh, because like, they're going to put you on a scale. So you, you got to definitely be, like, 205 or under in order for you to, like, you know, do this match for us and stuff. So, like, if anybody I, – I have it on my YouTube channel. If anybody look it up, we have, like, a very quick brief, maybe, like, two-minute match and stuff like that. But, I mean, even me getting that actual match was kind of depending on, like, how I look and stuff. Because, I, I mean, really, the guys that they had lined up, it was me, uh, PJ Hawks, and Buku Dao. <laughs> And it was just weird because, like, they looked at P.J. Hawks and it was like, "Yeah, man, you just look way too nice. We can't use you. You look way too, <laughs> you, look too much- you look too much. You look too much like a baby face." And then, like, they looked at Bukudao, and I don't know what was going through his mind. He had a weird look on his face, like he was trying to be mean, but it came across like <laughs> he was like, "And I'm like," <laughs> and they looked at him like, "No, we're not using." <laughs> And so they looked at me a lot. They was like, all right, well you look like you can play a heel. So, you know, we'll use you for the match. But I mean that that was a fun match. Fun and
0: simple. And uh when you do that, are you just like, okay, uh do you talk to the worker that you're going with and say, Okay, you gotta call the match, basically?
1: Yeah, no, no, with them everything is completely structured. So I mean it's it's great. Um there's no room for improv mm-hmm. uh because you have a set amount of time. So Mustafa, he came and got me. We went over to match everything he wanted to do, and then we went over again with the uh, agent. From there, that was it. But I had no input, Yeah, which was cool because I'm nobody in the grand scheme of that company.
0: (laughs) I guess, guess, you know, to look at the positive, that kind of takes pressure off, because you're like, this is what we're doing? Okay. I'll do that to the best of my ability, but if you don't like it, that's not on me. (laughs) (laughs) It's on you.
1: (laughs) Yo, know, like, if they go over in time, like, that's all on them. It's like, I did not, I, I just followed instructions.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. How about for uh, guys that come in, or when you're working with guys that, you know, used to be uh, on WWE, ECW, WCW, you know, did you, did you get weirded out? Like, thinking like, oh, man, you know, I used to work with, uh, you know, you got into wrestling watching Cactus Jack versus Triple H. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, oh, now I'm on shows with Tommy Dreamer. Like, what a trip this yeah, is. It's,
1: it's, man, I don't, okay, so this is kind of like something that I do to psych myself out. Well, psych myself up. Um, I always make sure, and this, this is weird, but in order for me to perform, I tell myself I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Like, there's nobody who can fuck with me. I tell myself that just so I don't get scared when I go in front of the crowd and I'm performing. And, you know, I, you know, I don't get stage fright. So with me having that in my mind, I always look at the performers who I'm on the show with, like we're on the same level. That way I don't get starstruck where I feel like, damn, I shouldn't even be in the ring with them because I can't do anything. You know, I've, I haven't done anything yet in my career to match this. So I don't I don't tend to get starstruck about, you know, the people okay. that I meet. I'm more humbled afterwards when they, you know, say, hey man, you did a good job, but that was real solid and stuff like that. Like. I did a a really good program and feud with Stevie Richards. And, you know, I, I had no I had no uh, nervousness going into the, the feud that we had. I actually, you know, he was kind enough to let me win the belt from him. And, you know, he was a different style of working because, you know, Stevie, he likes to call a lot of stuff on the fly. He'll be like, hey, we got the finish. That's all we need. Uh, maybe a maybe a comeback, you let me know what your comeback is, but a lot of stuff is going to be on the fly. So, you know, when I got into it, you know, with him doing the matches and stuff like that, it was just a lot of talking, hey, do this, do that. And that's also a, a, another point where I kind of felt like I reached a new level because up until that point, I didn't have too many guys who like to call stuff on the fly. We would do it at practice, but in front of a crowd, we, we really didn't do much. We didn't do that often. So wrestling him and, you know, we did a feud and our blow off match was a, a hardcore match. And kind of like after the match, the match went good. You know, he texted me, he was like, hey man, you know, that was like a really good match. I had like a lot of fun. And me, you know, even though I feel like I can't be fucked with, I'm the baddest motherfucker on the planet, it just felt, it, it was real humbling for him to come and, you know, reach out to me afterwards and be like, hey, great performance, great job. I really, you know, I felt safe and I really enjoyed the match. So one of those things that kind of like, all right, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect this, but it feels good to get that type of, you know, reinforcement as far as like, Hey, you're doing your job, right. You know, keep it going. So, but even like meeting guys, like when I met time and and stuff like that, you know, even dreamer told me like, Hey dude, you got like a shit ton of potential. Like just keep it going. Try to make sure you're making, you know, the right decisions and stuff. And it was weird. Cause I think it was at the show when we had our X rated show with dreamer there. Um, our match, even though I was champion at the time, my championship match was before the main event. I think it was, like, before intermission. And I didn't understand it, but, hey, I'm not the booker. It is what it is. Let it roll. But uh, I think Tommy, Tommy, he was in the main event. After the show, he kind of, like, he just sat there, and he was like, man, you know what? Y'all should have been the main event. He said, honestly, like, the crowd loves you. I was wrestling Danny Flamingo at the time. He was like, the crowd loves y'all y'all honestly y'all should have been the main event and you going over the crowd still loved it so there's no reason why his four-way match should have been the main event when i'm the champion so it's kind of hearing things like that it's like all right i felt the same way too And you are kind of you know just like reinforcing you know what i'm saying but you know it's 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 good it's always it's always a good feeling to kind of have that reinforcement from veterans
0: oh absolutely people who have you know years in the business and they know and and also have no reason to bullshit you that's the other thing. Like, yeah. they're, you know, they, they have nothing to gain from lying to you. So it's kind of like. I can't get them booked. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, hey. So, you know, when they're saying stuff, they're genuine. No, Tommy Dreamers especially is a really nice dude. I met him at a, I went to C2E2 in Chicago. And he was just there, mm-hmm. you know, with a booth. like, And I was just bullshitting with him. Of course, I name dropped Luke because that's what I always do. I <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw you at the at the uh, Wildcat show. Yeah, I know, Luke. Anyway, um, so what's going on? And then, no, but he was super cool. We were just, like, bullshitting about, like, random, like, wrestling stuff, like the Lucha Brothers and stuff like that. Like, he's just a really mm-hmm. cool dude to talk to. Um, yes. So that's got to be kind of refreshing when you do meet guys that are, like, in the business and you're like, oh, they're actually kind of nice. That's that's good. Any guys you meet, and like I said, no names have to be necessary. Any guys you meet where you're like, this dude's not so nice.
1: Man, I- not Actually, somebody who just, uh, it's where, I mean, me, I have very, I have low expectations of people. I'm kind of one of those guys where it's like, I don't expect you to be nice to me. Like, I expect you to be cordial, but I don't expect you to be nice. Like, you know, go, go out of your way to do things for me. So when somebody actually does that stuff, it's a bit surprising, even though some people consider it common courtesy. But yeah, I, I never really had anybody who was like just, mean spirited or anything like that. Maybe some guys who just weren't as talkative. You know, it's almost like they kind of they did the match and that was it. Like that's all they wanted. Just all right, we did our match cool. You know, peace out guy. Or you know, they they don't really want to like chat it up on some personal stuff or just casual conversation. But I haven't, you know and granted I have a a very short career, I have not had anybody come at me like sideways.
0: Okay. Anyone uh anyone work a little snug? Damn we know I work snug? Uh
1: nope no, nobody who works, nobody who works snug. I, I'll tell you one thing, um, and this was due to inexperience. Uh, I I, <laughs> I did stiff somebody unintentionally during this was this was like one of my this might have been maybe like my I don't say six maybe like my tenth match, um, but and I felt bad about it afterwards. But I didn't know any better, and it was just kind of like one of the, the growing pains. But um, I was wrestling Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks was, he was, Wildcat had booked him, like, in the beginning of his career and stuff. So me and Luke put him, put me and him together in a match. And, yo, this was, like, right after my shine. And I don't know what I was thinking. Really, I don't think I was thinking in general. But I did my shine, and I'm kind of giving him a little bit of heat, just giving him a few strikes. And, like, I kicked him. And I think I legit kicked him. Like, I kind of had my toe pointed and it hit, his, it hit his side. And I didn't realize, at first I thought he was selling, but when I heard him curse, he was like, oh, fuck. I was like, I don't think he's supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know, I don't think the camera was really on my face. I was like, I don't think he was supposed to say that. <laughs> and he said something like, oh, you fucked up. And the thing is, is that during the match, I was like, oh shit, I think I like, I really stiffed him. So I was like, all right, do what you got to do, man. Like, I'm expecting a receipt or something. And I don't want to say that he didn't do it because there's, we have like a a opening to a television show. And he does like, he set me up in a corner and I'm kind of, I'm on the middle turnbuckle. My face is like leaning on the middle turnbuckle. So I'm kind of like on one knee. And he like runs and he jumps in the air. And he, like, does a drop kick on my back. You can kind of see my my back bend in like that and stuff. And it looks great. I don't know if that is the stiff shot that he meant to give me, but it didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt. <laughs> so it's one of those things to where it's like, I don't know, I think I hyped myself up to where it's like, all right, I fucked up. He's going to stiff me, so just be ready for some shit. And I just think, like, whatever he gave me, I, I just took it like, okay. All right, cool. That was it. Yeah. But... You know the match went. The match went good. The match went solid. But that was one of the things where, like, I I unintentionally did something. And I'm like, oh shit, uh, yeah, something's about to come my way pretty soon.
0: And, <laughs> and of course, I at, afterwards. And of course, after you took it, you're like, oh no, man, that really hurt. That was terrible, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, this is, this is good shit, man. Just, thanks for getting me back. All right, you got me back. All right, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. It's time for my favorite segment. It's time to take it home. Oh, God. The promoter oh, God, has run had. out. He's pissed. <laughs> He's screaming. It's time to take it home, brother. Here we go. Just some quick fire questions. Uh, here it comes. Favorite move or hold that you don't use? Uh, one that I don't use. I would have
1: to say, I I do like the uh, the shooting star press. And actuality, I practiced the move several times. I've done it. I'm just not, sh- I'm not show ready yet. So that's kind of like one of those moves I'm still waiting to perfect. I don't like to post my practice, me practicing moves. Like if you can't do it during the show, you didn't do it at all. So yeah, I would say like the shooting star press.
0: Okay. I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you, I, I, I'm pretty sure you know Chris Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he has that video pinned on his Twitter of, of him practicing and the top rope breaks. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, damn. He gives no fucks. He's just like, he's like, he's like, here's me falling on my head. <laughs> yo, and normally I would not laugh at that, but
1: considering that he is still alive and not hurt, now I can laugh at it. hilariously.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> craziest fan interaction that you've had?
1: Man, yo, I I was trying to think about this other day when I was watching the, the Luke um, interview. Man, I can't think of anything that was that's crazy. I will say I've had some situations where it's a bit odd. Like I went out to the ring one time in a match and a guy gave me a McDonald's cheeseburger. Like he just had it and he just handed it to me. And I was like, oh shit, I got a cheeseburger. So I took the cheeseburger in the ring. But <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's, that's mainly it. Like I haven't had any. That's pretty weird. weird.
0: That's it's, pretty weird. You know, I mean.
1: It's thoughtful, it's very thoughtful, but it was one of those things where it's like, all right, I can't really eat this now, but
0: thank you. <laughs> you know, I don't think
1: you drugged it, but yeah.
0: thank you. <laughs> uh what's the worst thing someone could do uh when you're working with them in a match? And I had to amend this question because the first few times it always does the same answer, which so which so except trying to hurt you. What's the worst except, thing someone could do?
1: Man, I would say try to make me look like Try to make me look stupid. Um, yeah, it's really try to make me look stupid. Because what I've been taught is, and really we had this incident with one of our students uh, at practice recently. If I'm doing a match and I'm trying to make a guy look great, I'm selling for him, but he can't do the same for me or he's tripping over his leg or he's messing up his moves, it's just time to beat the fuck out of him. It's And it's not to say to take advantage of him, but... Who wants to watch a match where guys are tripping and falling on, on each other? That's not entertaining. Now, if you just see somebody just getting beat up, you might be like, oh, snap, is this stuff real? Yeah. Oh, wait, I got this. So it's one of those things, like, if you're making me look stupid, like, if you're trying to go for a hurricanrana and you can barely wrap your legs around me, or, you know, I'm trying to do a hurricanrana and you can't base, or, you know, you can't jump high for a leapfrog, it's like, all right, let's cut all this fancy stuff out. Just, just get to that and go home.
0: Yeah. At that point, it's Vader time. Yeah. Start potatoing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last time you were legitimately surprised by someone you were working with, hmm. or maybe Mendings, as you're since you're a teacher, a student that you had last time you were legitimately surprised by. Yeah.
1: Um, I would say it will. It would. And if he's watching, he—I don't think he's watching this. Or he might be watching this. Um, but when I had to wrestle, Saeed, Saeed Abu Musa, which if anybody knows, that is our senior official at Wildcat Sports. Uh, the background story on Saeed is—is is that he wanted to become a wrestler, but he was not good enough to be a good wrestler. He was much better at being a referee. So. Um, If you follow the the background story of us, he cost me my title. It went on for for months and months and months, and we finally had a match. We had two matches, actually. First match was a regular singles match, and then we had a submission match later on during the year. And that submission match, like, going into the match, like, the the, the morning of, he kind of hurt himself a little bit, which which was weird. He kind of pulled something in his, I don't know, his groin or his stomach area or something. But when it came to Showtime, he actually performed pretty well. He did not get in his head. He did not psych himself out. He followed instructions and he did everything well. We've had practice matches with Saeed at practice, and he has the tendency of getting in his own head. But he performed, to me, he performed great. I love the story that we told in our submission match because my hands were, t- my hands were handcuffed behind my back. So I could not really leave the match because I can barely hold him, I couldn't hold him at all. But he did a very great job and I was very proud of him for what he did, of his performance. And that was something to where I knew it was capable of him to do it, but the fact that he went through it so fluidly and safely, because I did not even get hurt, even though my hands are behind my back, I I commend him for that.
0: Uh, Has a booker tried to stiff you on money? No,
1: but I've had some, (laughs) I had some situations where like bookers were, hey look, we'll PayPal you the money. And I'm like, that's not what we discussed. So, <laughs> so <laughs> like, what's going on? And, yeah, you know, I remember Luke had his book for, um, he had his book for a show. What it was? He had his book for Evolve. Yeah, he had, no, no, it wasn't Evolve. It was FIP, which is kind of like Evolve Sister Smaller Promotion. And, you know, we went out there and stuff. And, you know, we did the booking. And the thing is, when we got there, we was getting ready for pay. He was like, oh, well, you know, I told Luke I would PayPal y'all the money. And I'm like, hold up, This is why I don't like doing middlemen. Because Luke didn't tell us this. I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's also so where it's like communications, the lines are getting blurred and stuff like that. So we got PayPal the money. But the thing was is that my expectations at the time was cash. And his expectations at the time was PayPal. So it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, all right, we need to be on the same page next time. But other than that, no, I've never been stiffed out of the money. I just, it was like, hey, instead of cash, can I PayPal you? I'm like, all right. We'll be waiting. All <laughs> <right>. <laughs> be waiting on it.
0: Uh, whether it be in a match you've been in or at any indie show that you just happen to be at, what's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show?
1: Uh man. <laughs> all right, this isn't the hardest that I laughed. Because I couldn't really laugh too hard because I had to go immediately and wrestle. So, uh, this was, the, this was a match I had against Luke it was at a Wildcat sports show. This was our last match we had re- recently, last year. So leading into the match, if anybody's been following me like on social media and stuff like that, I've been calling Luke Hawks a rat for like longest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even did like, uh, I did a hype, a hype video of it, of me training for our match. And it's basically me beating up a rat in the process of me training <laughs> So, what I did for that show was I went and got three hundred copies of the rat emoji printed out on a piece of paper, and we passed out all those uh copies of the rat emoji paper to all to everybody in the audience so and and and, and this this is a plan like I came up with Matt came up with Buku Dao came up with. So we had it to where when Luke came out for asked Luke came out first. As soon as he walked out, everybody's holding up the rat emoji picture. And you can see like on his face, he was like. <laughs> and then he sees like one of his friends and they're like holding it. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and they have his face on the, on the monitor behind the curtains. And I'm getting ready to go out next, and I'm looking at, it, and I'm like, I'm dying laughing, but I'm like, all right, I got to be angry, I got to be angry. <laughs> right. So I couldn't really like sit there and bask in it. Oh, and, yeah. like, I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is this is this is perfect. Like I, I planned everything perfectly, and it, it just hit. But like as soon as I'm music him I'm like, all right, I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry, <laughs> because Saïd was coming out right after him, so I got to be upset with Saïd with him being in the ring. But that that was the best. Like I love that. I love it. That's and I love amazing. And Luke had together. no idea
0: it was going to happen.
1: No idea. Everybody else knew. His son knew. Everybody else knew. <laughs> I had the security guards passing out the flyers. And I had my friends passing out the flyers, too. So everybody the ringside had rat uh, emoji
0: pictures. And he just said, look, like, like, who, who did this? Who <laughs> did this? <laughs> that must have been fantastic. Especially because Luke, you know, he has a, he has, you know, his mean mug face when he comes out. And I can't, and it, did it just break immediately? It, it break. Like he came out like, you know, me and he was, "Fuck what is this?
1: What? <laughs> what is all this? And everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: I love that. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's fuck. That's good. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's really good. Especially because there's so much. Because I've seen, you know, I follow you guys on. You know, we're friends, like friends on Facebook. As so I'm friends with Luke on mm-hmm. Facebook, so I've been seeing that rat emoji for so long. <laughs> that's why I'm. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, out of all the, you know, you work at different promotions, you see a lot of different workers. What's the worst gimmick that you've seen?
1: <laughs> the Southern Stomper, Luke Hawks. That is the worst gimmick. I have ever seen in my life you literally you have like a rat disguised as a human being pretending to wrestle that is the worst gimmick second to altar boy Luke Hawks that is the second worst gimmick I've ever seen I don't know who in the hell like saw this little skinny kid and was like yeah we need to make you an Ultra boy and you need to come out in the robe and all that stuff uh, no that, that was that's the worst gimmick I've ever seen I don't know how it's still successful, if you, <laughs> you want to say that. Be worse.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. So besides the, the rat prank, any other pranks or good ribs that you remember seeing?
1: Yo, um, I didn't pull this prank off. Uh, we did a show in Maryland for MCW. That's the uh, same promotion, the same wrestling school that uh, Leo Rush comes from. Velveteen uh, Dream, he comes from there, too. So we did a show. It was me, Danny Flamingo, Socorro, Matt Lancey, Buku Dao, a bunch of Wildcat guys, and Johnny Flex. So we all mess with Johnny Flex. Love it. We always give him hell. It's almost kind of like a little brother type thing to it's Like, all right, let's rip this guy. Let's, you know, give him a little bit of a hard time, but we, we do it with love. So uh, one of the things when we get there, one of the, uh, the trainers and the promoters is like, Hey, look, y'all. Um, I'm gonna need to see you all blood work for the commission. And so I'm like, all right, cool. I I always keep my blood work with me because we need it in Louisiana. So I have it in my luggage. So he tells this to everybody. Everybody has it, but Johnny Flex. So and and I noticed the promoter's coming up to me again. He's like, hey man, you got your blood work. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I always got it. Now let me get back to my match. (laughs) You know? So he tells us to Johnny Flex, and Johnny Flex doesn't have it. So Johnny's on the phone. He's calling his, his grandfather. He's like, hey, look, man, can you take a picture of my, uh, of my blood work and send it to me? gets the picture taken of it. gives it to the promoter. The promoter's like, but I can't see this stuff, man. Look, you're not on the show. If I can't see the blood work, you're not on the show. So he's freaking out. He calls his grandfather. He's like, hey, look, I need you to go to the, uh, go to the, um, the clinic where I got the blood work done. I need you to get it faxed over here to them now at this point the promoter and some of the other wrestlers come up to us and they're like yeah man so we're running this rib on him that if you don't have your blood work you can't wrestle and he hasn't shown us anything legible yet so i'm like oh hey, y'all really y'all really fuck with him like this like yeah yeah just keep going with it so he tries to get it faxed over he can't get it faxed over so the promoter's like well look like you're gonna be working merchandise and it's like okay and so he's he's bummed out he's not talking to nobody We're trying to get him to sell our merchandise. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. What the fuck you mean you don't want to sell our merchandise? Like (laughs) you can't you can't wrestle and it's your fault because you're to bring your blood. You should always and I tell him, always keep it in your luggage. Always keep it in there. And it's like, man, I can't believe this. I don't wanna say he he just he's pouting. So this goes on for I think a good like 90 minutes. And then at some point, like the promoter's like, Why you ain't got your gear on? It's like I can't wrestle. It's like, oh, we was just ripping you about that blood stuff, man. Like, you need to get your gear on to get ready. You got a match coming up. And his whole face just drops. Like he's like red and everybody's laughing at him. And I'm like, if you would have had your blood work, always keeping it because you wrestling Louisiana. So it just it, it's common sense to just keep it on you. Yeah. And if he would have had that, he never would have felt for the prank. Eh, the just him.
0: a roller coaster of emotions.
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, he was bummed. He was damn about to start crying and stuff.
0: oh man all right so i i call this one the touchy-feely question it's what is your pure joy in wrestling something that happens whether it be before you have a match when you're having a match even when you're watching a match something that happens where you get the goosebumps you're like this is why i love wrestling this is why i still do it this is what about it is about me this is what this is
1: Yo, honestly is is weird i don't really get the goosebumps until afterwards until i'm like going over the match and I'm, like, replaying the crowd's emotion to what happened. But I, I, I love those moments where, like, we have, like, a vital story piece in the match. So, and just hearing the crowd play off of it. So, for instance, I had, like, a match with Matt Lancey where I passed out during the match. Like, literally, he, like, he'd been bulldozing me for the match. Like, he shot me off to go to, like, the other corner, and I just collapsed. And you can kind of hear, like, the audience, like, the fuck is going on? There's like there's another part, there's another uh, a match I had with Steve Anthony where I literally have, because I was feuding with Saeed because Saeed kept costing me the match. I had like five referees come out to the ring to get Saeed out of the ring. And just that illusion of all the referees coming out to the ring, and the whole crowd is like, what's going on? What's going on? And then Said gets into it with all five of the other referees, and we're trying to do like pinfalls, and so one referee slides in. I pulls that referee out. You can hit a crowd going, oh! it, it, it's just that. That's like those vital story pieces, and that's not even big spots. But yeah. the crowd is so invested into the development of the story. It's like that. That really gives me goosebumps because it was kind of like one, it was kind of like my creation. So me having all these referees, and I had one of the referee, uh, Odie. He was in. He was like, dude, I've never done nothing like this as a ref. So we have so many referees and we're all getting to it and we're all pulling each other out the ring and the crowd, the crowd loved it. I always go back to that and that just kind of gives me goosebumps. So it's always like the aftershot of the match and the
0: crowd reaction to the story pieces that always gets to me. So it sounds like it's, you know, the payoff of crafting an idea and then seeing how, how it's received and how it, how it comes.
1: Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, if you watch Avengers, the minute that Captain America picks up the hammer and he starts whipping ass, you're like,
0: Oh, sh- that,
1: yeah. that's damn near the climax of it, Cause like everything else just built up to you. Like, Oh man, so good.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, sir, for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Please plug the social media stuff, the wildcat stuff. So everyone can check out your matches and everything like that.
1: Yes. You can reach me on Facebook at J Spade. That's the letter J dot Spade. Also on Instagram at Wildcard J Spade. I also have a YouTube channel. Just look up J Spade Wrestling. I have literally probably like over 30 matches on my YouTube channel. Also follow Wildcat Sports on Instagram and, and Twitter at Wildcat Sports. And on Facebook, just type in and it'll pop up.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate it.
1: No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks.